Hello, all you hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 29, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I have been dealing with technical difficulties all morning. I apologize for the lateness and the tardiness of this show. For those of you who are going to be watching on YouTube, for those of you who are watching the highlights on YouTube, I should say most of these will be coming out tomorrow morning. I think it's a little bit too late in the day for me to post at a later time and risk getting less engagement on those videos so i'm going to delay them until tomorrow probably but regardless of that i've been having technical difficulties for most of the morning i had a show planned and for any of you who do anything technology related or work in something that requires the aid of technology you can probably attest that having technology not work with you is probably one of the most frustrating experiences and one of the most frustrating um, things to happen to you during your workday and it's even more infuriating when the problem self-corrects itself and you don't even know what started the problem or what solved the problem to begin with so if it happens again you're back to square one so what I'm going to try to do today it's going to be a much shorter show I'm going to try and get out at least 30 minutes of content just in case things fail on me further down the line I want to get out some content I want to make the show and just pray hope and pray that nothing happens so if you're hearing this that means i succeeded if not that means this was a fantastic failure but we are going to be talking a little bit about nfl free agency today a little bit of march madness as well and i've been absolutely glued to my seat watching this march madness tournament it has been absolutely incredible to watch the lower seeds have come to play today and yesterday, the day before, all across the weekend, all of these lower seed teams have been absolutely shining. And it's fantastic to see. This is when college basketball is at its absolute best. 14 seeds, a couple of 15 seeds, a 13 seed uh, in Ohio beating Virginia. A bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of interesting and really exciting games. And this is shaping up to be one of the best tournaments in the recent memory. So I've been glued to my seat and I can't wait to get back to watch it. So that's another reason for me wanting to speed through the show so I can get back on my couch and watch some more basketball. But regardless of that, today we are going to start with NFL Free Agency. For those of you who may have missed this announcement, this was not on YouTube beforehand. This was strictly a podcast announcement. But the front offense frenzy had been canceled because I had a gigantic oversight in the fact that if I wanted to do all 32 NFL teams from the point that the Super Bowl ended to the draft, that free agency was occurring right in the middle of that timeline. And obviously, I can't give free agency advice for a free agency period that already happened. And the free agency advice was a gigantic part of the free of, of the front office frenzy segment. So I've had to cancel that segment with the knowledge that I can't strictly just do the draft in terms of the front office frenzy segment because that's that's kind of just taking about half of it out and then doing half of a segment and I don't think that it's necessarily interesting or worth it of course we'll talk about teams draft needs at some point over the show maybe I'll just go ahead and make that a separate segment but to replace that for the time being I wanted to go and I wanted to give grades to every single NFL team and make it go by divisions and that should tie us over for a little while while we get ready for the draft to occur so the first week of free agency, the majority of free agency, I would rather say, 
has already been completed. There's going to be some minor transactions here or there, maybe some big signings here or there, but most of the uh, the bulk of NFL free agency has already happened. So I wanted to go through today and start grading every single NFL team by division, and we're going to start with the AFC North today, grading every single team in the NFL, starting with the AFC North based on their free agency and their offseason acquisitions. We're going to start in Pittsburgh with the Steelers. Look, the Steelers were never going to spend too much cash this offseason. They had some serious cap issues to deal with, and they should get some points for really being able to get themselves under the cap. Obviously, renegotiating the contract with Roethlisberger, uh, Cameron Hayward as well. Big contracts that they have renegotiated to give themselves some cap space with a whole bunch of voidable years. So they have been able to get themselves under the salary cap, but it's left them in a pretty vulnerable position organizationally. I'm not really a fan of where the Pittsburgh Steelers are uh, at this point. If I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I am very weary of the future. I, I am not a fan of the direction of the team at this point. I think Big Ben really only serves the purpose of being a security blanket for the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point. I don't think you're going to get much more out of him, but it's very clear, and I've said this on the show before, that Pittsburgh is not organizationally ready to move on to the next quarterback, to move on into the future. So this offseason and this upcoming season has the potential to be a complete waste, but there's not really much else that the Pittsburgh Steelers can do because they just seem fundamentally unprepared. This is the best that they can do, and and unfortunately, the best that they can do when it comes to free agency this offseason with their cap space is basically nothing. Um, a lot of it really is going to fall on the draft for Pittsburgh to see what they can do, to see whether they can replicate the success of the first half of last season, as opposed to the downward spiral that was the second half of that last season. So it's really going to come down to the draft to determine how good this team can be. But even so, I mean, it's a little tough because Pittsburgh is going to need a quarterback soon. And I thought that they would try and go after an additional quarterback in this free agency period, somebody like Jacoby Brissett, who ended up signing with Miami. Dwayne Haskins can technically be classified as your free agent quarterback signing, but if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, let me know. I wouldn't be too excited with Dwayne Haskins and Mason Rudolph being my quarterbacks in, success, in succession if I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers organization in general. I thought they might want to try and go after somebody else, maybe Trubisky I, I, or maybe Brissett. There were a couple of options on the market, maybe Winston. You know, there, There's a couple of options that were on the market that they either did not go on or had to pass on because they just didn't have the finances to do so. So that is something that I probably would have liked to see but didn't see from Pittsburgh, which is why I'm giving them a lower grade. The good news for Pittsburgh is that they they got back some of the players that they needed to get back. They got back Smith-Schuster, and they got him back for a good price. He could have gone elsewhere, and he could have made some banks, so getting him back at a good price was a great win for Pittsburgh. They also got back uh, Cameron Sutton and Zach Banner, which is good. But in terms of improving the team from the outside, improving the team with members from other teams coming in. The Steelers were really constricted in the salary cap. And so between the fact that they couldn't really make any moves this offseason, they didn't try and go and get another quarterback just to plan for the future. Um, and they're stuck with Rudolph and, Gas and Gaskins and Haskins. 
Uh, because of that and the fact they couldn't make any moves, they are getting a C grade for uh, the Steelers for this free agency period. Moving on to the Bengals. The Bengals really only had one job this offseason, and that was to get some better pass protection to help out Joe Burrow whenever he comes back from his injury. And they kind of did that. Uh, Riley Reef is a good tackle, but there were much better tackles on the market. Alejandro Villanueva is also still available, so if you want to double up on tackles, uh, he is still available, and you can get some much-needed depth at that position. He might be a little bit too expensive to rotate him into a depth position. It depends on who they got on their left tackle and who they got on their right tackle. Obviously, left tackle is going to be much more important which Riley Reef can fill that void uh, automatically no matter what. But it's a mid-tier signing. There could have been better tackles. I don't know necessarily if they just declined to go and spend some money. Uh, but they didn't go after any of the centers or guards that were on the market either. Or at least they didn't land any of them. Uh, Kevin Zeitzler obviously went to Baltimore. Lindsey went to the Chargers. There were a bunch of uh, Packers offensive linemen that went to the Chargers. In addition to uh, Joe Thune going to the Kansas City Chiefs. So they missed out on some pretty big guards that would have really helped the Bengals offensive line. It really helped protect Joe Burrow, which it looks like Joe Burrow is going to be a good franchise quarterback for Cincinnati. So, uh, And that is assuming that he comes off his injury with the amount of success that he had prior to his injury. Obviously, that's left to be seen. But they tr they they had to improve the offensive line. They didn't necessarily get there. Uh, they got a couple of pieces. They could have gotten more. They missed out on some others. Defensively speaking, uh, they lost Carl Lawson. They cut Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins is getting pretty old, uh, so that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. They lost William Jackson III to Washington. They did get some pieces to replace those guys. Uh, Chidobe Abouzier from Dallas. Trey, Trey Hendrickson uh, as a pass rusher from New Orleans. And Mike Hilton from the Steelers. Um, I do like the Hendrickson uh, signing in particular, but the Bengals didn't really do enough offensively on the line to make me feel comfortable about that offense improving. And defensively, you can argue that apart from Hendrickson, the defense kind of went sideways in terms of talent level instead of forwards or backwards, which um, can only place the Bengals if I had to give them a grade, which I am placing the Bengals at about a C+. Now to the Ravens. The Ravens had a quietly good free agency, actually, in my opinion. They really haven't lost any pieces that really sting, apart from Matt Judon to New England. And I really don't think that Matt Judon was that great last season. Uh, obviously, metrics may say differently. I haven't looked specifically into the metrics, but... From just an eyeball look at the game that Matthew Judon played for the Ravens last season, he was a p big part of the defense, but he wasn't necessarily um, a piece that you would say, no, we ne we really need to hold on to this guy. Uh, so apart from, you know, Judon leaving, every everybody else that the Ravens lost was pretty expendable. I mean, Unique Ngakwe was going to more than likely go anyways in free agency. I think the Ravens knew that when they traded for him in the middle of the season, they wouldn't be able to retain Ngakwe. He was a good boost into the playoffs, and that's just about it. Um, he was going to be a little bit too expensive to keep, even if you wanted to keep him. And that money that you would have spent on Ngakwe or Judon have gone to keeping some of the other vital assets of that Ravens defense. So somebody like Ty Spouser, who does a really good job in pass coverage for the Ravens almost every single year since he's been in the league. I think he's on his fifth year now. Uh, Derek Wolf on the defensive line and Pernell McPhee on the linebacker court as well. They're all really key to that front seven. And the Ravens have done a really good job of retooling and revitalizing that money that would have been spent on somebody like Judon and Ngakwe and making sure that the rest of the front seven are paid and happy. Uh, the Ravens also, as I said earlier, signed one of the best guards in free agency in Kevin Zeitzler 
at a really good price too. Uh, so this free agency was cost effective, good in retaining your own, not losing too many valuable pieces to other teams apart from Judon. The only thing that I can say is that the Ravens really needed to get some help at wide receiver and they have not done that yet. And it's possible that they're going to leave that to the draft. There are some still good wide receivers available like T.Y. Hilton. At least I'm assuming he's still available at the time of this recording. There are some wide receiver pieces that are available, but obviously Schuster re-signed with the Steelers. A.J. Green went to Arizona. Um, a bunch of wide receivers went to, to New England. Curtis Samuel went to Washington. Uh, and a couple of pieces were tagged. Galladay with the Giants. Marvin Jones went to the Jaguars. So they missed out on some really good weapons for Lamar Jackson. I can only assume that they're going to try and dress that in the first and second round in the draft. But regardless of that, uh, the Ravens get a B-plus for some good, cheap signings. Uh, they, they got great value for their players. They don't get an A because they failed to address their most needed position group. But this is just the free agency grade. The free agency grade. This isn't the total offseason grade. Obviously, if they address those needs in the draft, the Ravens will be set. And then finally, to wrap up the AFC North for today, the Browns. The Browns needed to have a strong offseason to continue the momentum from last season. It looks like Pittsburgh is falling back. It looks like the Bengals are still going to be average this season. So it's really just between the Ravens and the Browns at this point. The Browns needed to have a strong offseason. And it looks like they did. I think they had a tremendous offseason. Look, the Browns' secondary was the worst part of that defense last year. Uh, really, really bad. And they signed John Johnson from L.A. They also signed Troy Hill from L.A. as well. The Rams, I should say, specifically L.A. Rams. Uh, so John Johnson was one of the best young safeties in the game, probably one of the best safeties on the market this free agency period, and they got him for a really good price. And they also, as I said, signed Troy Hill. So you take two of the best players from that Rams defense in the defensive backcourt, which is one of the best in the league last season, if not the best in the league last season, and you're already doing yourself a lot of favors. Uh, the Browns also re-signed Rashad Higgins, and there hasn't been any chatter about OBJ being traded or, or released, so it looks like OBJ is staying another season, or at least it looks that way at this point. So the offense is re-kitted re out, so to speak. Uh, and they hit on all their smaller signings on defense, too. Takaris McKinley is a good flyer to try and revitalize his career. Ma uh, Malik Jackson on the defensive line and Malcolm Smith coming in on one-year deal. All of those are one-year deals. I really like the Malcolm Smith signing. I said this uh, on a show last week how much I like the signing. He brings a lot of experience, a lot of Super Bowl caliber experience. Remember him winning in Seattle in 2013. He brings a lot of experience at linebacker. He's a good leader for that defense, and more importantly, he's quick. Uh, he is going to go sideline to sideline, be a force from sideline to sideline, and really tackle um, some of the faster and speedier offenses in the league like the Kansas City Chiefs. In my mind, Andrew Barry, uh, the general manager for the Browns, has really perfectly laid out the Browns for a Super Bowl run this year. He's done a fantastic job. Uh, it's really going to fall on the shoulders of Baker Mayfield to perform as he performed last season, and then we'll see where we go from there. The Browns are in a really good position. The Browns get an A for their free agency period this year. And that is the grades for the AFC North. We are going to continue to do an episode of, I don't, I don't this doesn't necessarily have like a name or a series, but we are going to do one division and give grades for one division pretty much every single show from here on out. So it's going to be a per show basis. So make sure you tune in next show to find out if we uh, cover the team or your favorite team in your division next. I did want to uh, take the opportunity to talk about some 
March Madness this weekend. I, I could talk about the upsets. I could talk about which team is looking to be a favorite now, now that a bunch of one and two seeds have been eliminated. Illinois getting eliminated early. Uh, Baylor still looking good, who was my pick to win everything. Gonzaga is looking like a scary basketball team. Uh, but I wanted to talk about Ohio State versus Oral Roberts, and not specifically the game, because uh, it's fantastic that Oral Roberts has not only beaten Ohio State, but they just beat Florida as well. So a great Cinderella story for a 15 seed uh, for Oral Roberts University, the Golden Eagles uh, of Oral Roberts University. I wanted to talk momentarily a little bit about uh, the, the aftermath of that game and some of the public things that went out about or some of the public things that were said about one of the Ohio State players. His name is E.J. Liddell. And E.J. Liddell posted some screenshots on his social media a couple hours after the game of these direct messages on Twitter or Instagram or whatever have you from Ohio State fans, fans. And these fans, and I know that for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can't see the quotation marks behind my desk and on screen right now. These Ohio State fans were seen saying horrendous things to this young man, E.J. Liddell, something along the lines of, uh, some racial slurs to him, saying that Ohio State hates him and that he should never return to Ohio State. He's horrible. He's uh, disastrous. They, they, they were threatening to come find him and end his life. Horrible things. And anybody with a sane mind would classify those things as horrible. But the reaction from Ohio State is what I want to praise here and what I want to talk about. Uh, because while those fans are absolute, I, I want to say so many words, but to keep the show PG, I'm going to refrain from that. The, these fans were obviously total idiots, but the response from Ohio State and the AD were really great. And I'm, and I'm really happy that this response was. And I would encourage more responses like this to be more thorough across the entire NCAA, across the entire, uh, you know, whatever sport it is, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, whether it's basketball. I want to see more reactions like this, and I want to see more protection for these players. Because working in collegiate, sport as lo collegiate sports as long as I have, having covered Florida State sports for six years now, and spending a lot of time with these players, primarily football, I also cover a lot of baseball, but I've spent time with basketball players. It, it doesn't matter what sport you play, no matter what, you know. Having spent so much time uh, doing this job, I, one of my favorite parts of this, and I've said this on the show before, is how you get to watch these young kids come to college and become men right before your eyes. Now, I'm only 23. I'm still technically a kid, too, if you want to be, you know, specific about it. Like, I have a lot of my life ahead of me. But even still, you get to watch these 17, 18-year-old kids come to school with a scholarship to play the game that they love. You know, to get an education for some people, now depending on what your priorities are. You get to see these kids go to school and you get to watch them grow up before your eyes. You get to see them mature. You get to see them make their decisions. You get to see how their character develops. You get to see what kind of decisions they make over time that make them who they are. And college sports in the United States is tremendously huge. And you forget sometimes, and fans tend to forget, that these are just kids. And they don't know anything about the world. They don't know you know, about how nasty the world is. They're just there to play the game that they love and try to make a living for themselves and get an education. They don't care about your $5,000 sports bet that you made uh, trying to bet the over-under on a college basketball game. Uh, 
And I'm not saying that betting was the, the antagonist or the catalyst for these racially upset, uh, offensive and, you know, comments towards EJ Liddell or these death threats towards EJ Liddell. I'm not saying that sports betting was the cause of that, but just as an example, these kids aren't going to care that you, that you bet $5,000 on the over under of an oral Roberts, Ohio state game, right? Fans have no right and they should be penalized more and further further caution should be taken by not only the university but the NCAA to make sure that these types of things don't happen. Because regardless of that, social media is playing a huge part in this day and age and it's very important to these kids, their, their image, their likeness, yada yada. They go on and read some of this stuff and they don't deserve to be told that they want to be killed because they missed a free throw or that they missed a layup or that they didn't catch a touchdown pass. They're just here to play the game that they love and get an education. So the response by Ohio State to get the police involved in this to take actions against these quote-unquote fans is something that I would encourage more and something that I want to see across the entire NCAA. I've been on a football field watching or standing by the entrance to the state, not the entrance, the, the entrance to the field, I should say. I have been standing at the entrance to the field watching a team run back into the locker room and have a person, multiple people actually, from the bleachers yell the N-word at these players running back into the locker room. Uh, obviously, those fans were thrown out of the game, but whereas on at the game, there is some immediate consequences. You're going to get a lot of hatred towards you immediately. You're going to get thrown out of the game. On social media, you can just turn all that off. You can just get blocked. You know, there, there's, no, there's not as much of a threat as to what you say on social media as opposed to racially slurring at somebody in person. So I would encourage other people universities to take actions like Ohio State is taking in terms of getting the police involved, in terms of protecting their players, their student athletes that are going to this university, because this happens everywhere. This does. I've heard many a thing said directed at players, directed at coaches. And, you know, the coaches is one thing, but protecting these young kids is another thing. Again, they're coming in 18, 19. They're trying to live their lives. They're trying to figure their lives out. They don't care that you made a stupid bet and lost on that bet and therefore, or, or you lost the game for your university. Not only is the pain of losing the game for your university already that, you know, pronounced. Imagine having somebody DM you saying that he wants to kill you afterwards. The police need to be involved in things like this. There needs to be greater protection for these athletes and more public protection for these athletes because at the end of the day, and I hate to be the person to be like, oh, it's just a game. So for, for some people it's their livelihood, but it is just a game. Nobody should be getting death threats for missing a free throw. Nobody should be, you know, being slurred at in with racial anger uh, because they lost a game or they were a part of a loss for their university that, that, that fan is a fan of. I hope I'm, I hope this is all very concise because this is something that I feel very strongly about, and it's something that I've witnessed you know, as a member of the media how these kids can be effective, especially when social media plays such a large part in the way that these players interact with one another, and which these players communicate with fans, and just the role of social media in these kids' life from day, from a day to day basis. It's so important, and I would encourage other you know universities to take action in getting police involved, getting um, more caution and more protection for these players that have come to not only play the game that they love, but learn at specific universities. To end the show today, I want to talk about <clears throat> one of the big signings that happened 
kind of late in the free agency period, Kenny, uh, Kenny Galladay signing with the Giants. I think I think a lot of people are going to look at the Kenny Galladay signing and and say, you know, great for Kenny Galladay, fantastic. He he rejected the Lions' offer earlier in the offseason. He bet on himself. He got paid. The Giants paid an exorbitant price to get Kenny Galladay. Now he gets to go and be a number one wide receiver again in a different market, an easier division than uh, the NFC North. Good for good for Kenny Galladay. Fantastic for him. Congratulations. You know, a lot of people are going to be focusing on that. But I think there's a bigger winner in this signing than Kenny Galladay. And that person is Daniel Jones. And, you know, I was thinking about this signing, and I was thinking about, wow, okay, Daniel Jones now gets a number one wide receiver to throw to for the first time since he's been a New York Giant. And obviously, Daniel Jones had a, a regression last season. Not all of it was his fault. The first season under Jason Garrett, new offensive coordinator, Saquon Barkley went out in week two, and he had wide receivers that couldn't catch the damn ball, even if they were paid to do it, which they are paid to do it, which makes it that even <laughs> that much more embarrassing that they couldn't catch a damn pass. Wide receiver couldn't catch. Evan Ingram couldn't catch a ball to save his life. Legged the league and drops at his position. You know. Daniel Jones had a rough season. He went from 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions in 2019 close to and and like 3000 yards or whatever to 11 touchdowns and 10 interceptions in 2020 2900 yards about that much so there was a there was a regression last season and i'm thinking okay now Kenny Galladay is in New York he's going to have a number 1 receiver to throw to he also has now Kyle Rudolph to throw to who hopefully is going to replace and completely eliminate Evan Ingram uh from from the lineup and I was just thinking back to the 2019 draft when Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones got drafted and everybody thought it was a laughable, meme-worthy pick. Yeah, that, that was kind of the perception around Daniel Jones. It's like everybody's – the casual football fan is like, who is this guy? I mean, they're, they're going to know who Daniel Jones is. They're going to listen to Mel Kiper Jr.'s you know, essay on him, his, his five-minute rant on Daniel Jones, the quarterback. They're going to know his name, but if, unless you watched a whole bunch of Duke football – Duke college football, which ugh, football isn't the uh, the sport that you're watching if you're a Duke fan. Unless you watched a whole bunch of Duke football, you wouldn't really get the potential of what Daniel Jones can be. And since he's been in the NFL, he has not really gotten a number a, a good chance to really fulfill that potential. First year, he didn't necessarily get the complete control from Eli Manning until later on. Second year, obviously, the the offense was debilitated as I said this is the first year that Daniel Jones really gets a shot to prove that he was worth that draft selection and as I said everybody thought that it was a meme worthy pick when he got drafted it was a laughable pick I mean everybody everybody that I knew that was a Giants fan was just like oh there's better quarterbacks available and even me myself was like oh there's, there's probably a better quarterback available somewhere but once I started looking at who Daniel Jones was as a person and who he was as a quarterback, as an athlete, I somewhere along the way became emotionally invested. And I'm not a Giants fan. I will not pretend to be a Giants fan. I never will be a Giants fan. But for some reason, I am emotionally invested in Daniel Jones's success. And I don't know why. I, I'm not really that way with many young quarterbacks at all in the NFL. Apart from Tua Tunga Viola. Daniel Jones is the only other quarterback in which I am emotionally invested in their future. 
And I don't know if it's necessarily the fact that I love an underdog story. I love a story in which somebody's counted out from the moment that they are given that position. Daniel Jones has been, as far as my understanding of the perception of who Daniel Jones is, my, my understanding is that he's kind of been counted out as the quarterback of the New York Giants from the word go. I really want Daniel Jones to succeed. I really want him to prove people wrong, including myself. I want him to prove me wrong. I want him to be that quarterback in New York, and he does have the potential to be that quarterback in New York. He's got he's a tremendous athlete. He's an he's a mostly accurate passer, seventy five percent completion rating. If I understand, if I uh, recall that stat correctly, he's just need he just needs the right package behind him in order to be, actually be able to develop. And the signing of Kelly Kenny Galladay really gives him the best opportunity that he's had as a New York Giant to be able to live up to those expectations. And, you know, part of it is the fact that there are those expectations. There are those unfair expectations. Daniel Jones is fulfilling the shoes of one of the more likable quarterbacks of the modern era in Eli Manning. Now, Eli Manning wasn't the most outspoken person, but in terms of who he was as a person, you know, what he was able to do in the NFL landscape, Eli Manning, especially with taking down those monstrous Patriots teams, which I'm sure majority of the NFL appreciated, you know, in, in, in 2011 and uh, 2014, yada, yada. You know, Eli Manning was one of the more likable quarterbacks in the NFL. And to see him, to see him leave the Giants the way they did, Daniel Jones was under a tremendous pr uh, pressure to fulfill those shoes. And it's a big shoe to fill, too. I mean, Eli Manning debatable about whether he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he did mean a lot to that organization. And he's a Manning. He is a Manning. And, you know, when you actually take a look at who Daniel Jones is, he actually fills those shoes pretty well. Same type of character, more quiet than anything else. You know, very, very completion percentage heavy. Very get down to work type of guy. But, I mean, the only thing that's really different between Manning and him is just they're completely different play styles, you know? So I guess all of this is to say that, you know, I think that even though Kenny Galladay is a winner in this signing, the bigger winner in all of this is it's not even the Giants organization, although, although they're winner by de facto here. The biggest winner is Daniel Jones. Kenny Galladay is the best chance for Daniel Jones to prove that he is worth that draft selection. And it's the best chance that he's had since he's drafted to be able to prove that. Saquon's been injured. That's a huge part of the offense that's just taken out. When you can run the ball, that makes the quarterback's life a bajillion times easier. Daniel Jones is finally going to get an opportunity to prove that he was worth that draft selection, and I'm excited for him. I want Daniel Jones to prove everybody wrong. I want Daniel Jones to succeed. And again, I'm not really sure why I'm so emotionally invested. Maybe it's just because I love an underdog story. I love somebody who's been counted out from the word go. And again, I'm not with, like that with many people in the NFL at all. Obviously, it's great to have underdog stories. But when it comes to you know the, the, the popularity and the media presence and the media importance of, of being a quarterback in New York is, you know, it, it, it's bigger than most. It's, it's bigger than other situations. I am really, really excited to see whether Daniel Jones can live up to that hype. And I hope that he proves all of us, including myself, who kind of laughed off his draft selection in 2019. I hope he proves all of us wrong, and I hope he has a good season for the Giants, which what would be a good season for the Giants? You need to make the playoffs. 
You need to make the playoffs. The NFC East is the worst division in the league. It's been that way for a couple seasons now. You need to get the Giants back to the playoffs. And I think the, the Giants have made enough moves in free agency to be able to facilitate that. Uh, they kept Leonard Williams on the defense, which was a huge move. They, they have the pieces to be able to make the playoffs. It really comes down to whether Joe Judge can continue to progress that football team. And it's going to, you know, come down to basically the Giants and Washington. I think Washington is the best team in that division at the moment. I don't think Dallas is really going to be that spectacular as long as Mike McCarthy is the head coach of that football team. And then the Eagles are a dumpster fire at the moment. So, you know, the Giants have a really good chance to make the playoffs. It's going to come down to Danny Dimes. He's got the weapons now. Hopefully, God forbid, every or, or God willing, rather, everybody stays healthy. And again, I'm not a Giants fan. I don't know why I'm so emotionally invested in seeing the Giants succeed with Daniel Jones, but I think for the satisfaction of, of him proving me wrong and me saying, you know what, I should never count anybody out based on what their preconceived notion of who that person is as an athlete, as a person is, you know, very, a little multi-layered, but beyond that, uh, let's see, let's see if, let's see if he proves us wrong. And that's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for watching. Again, I tried to split out close to 30 minutes of content before something else happened to my setup, before we ran into more technical issues. I will be uploading these on YouTube as fast as I can. Might wait till tomorrow just in case. But until then, until the next time I get to speak with you and we get to have a show, thank you so much for supporting and listening. You are listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast podcast the hard-headed sports podcast hosted by me nick ryan and with that note stay hard-headed but have a nice day